This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Backtalk, from Bitch Media, Talk Poverty Radio, Humorless Queers, Dan Savage, Democracy Now!, Activism from the ACLU, and a TED Talk by Ivan Coyote. Here's the deal, is that a bunch of different states, including over the last year, you know, the legislatures of South Dakota, Illinois, Washington, Oklahoma, and North Carolina have all considered bills that are really transmisogynistic, that um, here's the here's the rallying cry of these bills. No men in women's bathrooms. So Republican and right wing legislators in all those states have pushed these bills that say um, that the cities and counties in those states can't pass LGBT anti-discrimination measures. And specifically, um, they ban people, they ban transgender people from using the bathroom that fits their their gender identity. And so really, these bathroom bills, the, the most recent one just passed in North Carolina and was signed into law um, last week. And the the governor of the state um, was really pushing hard for it and was happy to sign it. And it was in response to an anti-discrimination measure that the city of Charlotte, North Carolina, passed last year after a lot of thought and consideration. Um, it's clear that these bills, I mean, we should just call them what they are. They're they are a hate bill. <laughs> they're, they're really geared around the politics of fear. And I think what's most insidious about these bills, which we're seeing pop up you know, all over the country, is that what they're using is they're using this rhetoric around needing to protect women in order to repeal and attack anti-discrimination measures, which that's a mental leap that takes a couple leaps to go. But, you know, what, what, what the people who are backing these bills are saying is that if you allow transgender people to use the bathroom that affirms that is in that is in affirmation with their gender, they are going to rape women in the bathrooms. It's just like, what? <laughs> Um, S.E. Smith, uh, who's a contributor to Bitch and a, also a great person, um, wrote a great piece in Rolling Stone summing up the reasons behind these bathroom bills. Uh, and S.E. wrote in Rolling Stone, there's a reason bathroom bills are exploding right now. It's not just about trans visibility and a growing sense of transphobia in conservative communities as they're forced to come to grips with the existence of the trans community. It's also closely associated with the 2016 presidential election, which Republicans want to maintain their stranglehold on Congress. For them, opposing trans rights dovetails neatly with the interests of the right, allowing candidates to come out swinging against civil rights to appeal to conservative voters. So what SC is really saying is that trans people are basically being used, you know, as as a political chip here uh, whose rights can be bargained away because Republicans are trying to score some political victories and scare people into coming out to the polls by saying men are going to come into women's restrooms and rape you. And that's such, that, that's a really horrible line. Right. And so I learned a new word while uh, I was helping <laughs> you edit some of these pieces. Because we also have pieces on bushmedia.org about this. Um, down ticket. To, to, to like these these measures down ticket da- uh-huh. yeah these measures um, get voters in so that they would vote down ticket so maybe like somebody who's very transphobic would go to vote against this measure and then um, while they're in the polling place they'll end up voting for a bunch of Republicans to sit in their state legislature or in other like local seats um, because 
you know, that's that's another thing we talk about when we talk about politics is that um, local seats actually have a lot more power than we give them credit for. And you need to get, but they're not sexy or fun to vote for. Right. Like all of these bills are being debated and passed in state legislators by state representatives, which, you know, is not talked about or focused on as much at all as the presidential election. Right. So we need to like get people in. How do we get people in? By fear mongering them um, and telling them like, you know, your your wife, your daughter, your sister, your auntie, your grandma, they're all going to be assaulted if you don't come out and vote for this. And while you're in the polling, why don't you make sure that, you know, your district's represented by this person or that person? This is really using transphobia as a political strategy to get people as as a get out the vote effort for Republicans. I think one of the most appalling things about this bill is that I think there's a assumption that people have that their that their laws are based on data <laughs> or science. And in this case, it's totally not. You know, people think, oh, well, they wouldn't be writing that bill or they wouldn't be voting for that if there wasn't something to back it up. And in this case, there is absolutely nothing to back it up. The the things that Republicans are are making us afraid of in their rhetoric around these bills is that transgender people are going to go into women's restrooms and assault women. And it should we should just say as many times as possible that there are zero reported cases of this ever happening anywhere in the United States. Um, many states have had uh, have been banning discrimination in public accommodation since 1993. So that means um, they have written into their laws that uh, rules that allow transgender people to use the bathroom that aff- that that is an affirmation with their identity. That those states include Oregon, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa. A bunch of states have these laws, and they've been in place for you know, more than 20 years now. And there have been zero reported cases of this. The group Media Matters did an analysis of 12 states that have passed anti-discrimination measures that affirm the legal right of transgender people to use the bathroom that matches their gender in public buildings. And they found that in all of those states, in all those 12 of those states, there's never been a case where a transgender person has attacked a woman in a bathroom. It's just not, it's, it's totally a boogeyman. It's totally a made-up thing that Republicans are just using to pass these bills that have really harmful real-world effects. You know, I mean, even hearing the rhetoric around this creates a really destructive and discriminatory image of transgender women as as potential rapists that you need to be afraid of and that can't be allowed in public spaces. It's it's really horrific. And actually, I mean, the people who are suffer who are suffering real-world violence here are transgender mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the, the Williams Report, which is this big institute, did this study in 2013, and they found that 70% of trans people have reported being denied entrance, assaulted, or harassed while trying to use the restroom. And so, I mean, compare that. I mean, there's like the absence of real-world violence of, of trans people attacking cis women in bathrooms and, and so much evidence that trans people are actually being discriminated against and facing sometimes violent threats and attacks from people for using the bathroom that, 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 that they need to. So... I think Republicans should or I think all of our politicians should be taking on that real world violence rather than making something up. Right. And and I just kind of can't like wrap my brain around this notion that like public restrooms are some kind of a really special place that you need like a lock and key. Like literally anybody can go into a public restroom, like regard like regardless of what like uh, the gender marker says on the door there. It doesn't. Just because there's like a, it says women on the door, it doesn't really keep men out of the restroom. Like men just don't go into those restrooms just out of courtesy, right? Like, uh, like cis men just go into the one that's marked as a man's. Like, you don't need to like swipe a card or like a special lock and key to get in. So this notion that like, um, we need legislation to block people to from getting into these doors that 
have no locks like i i just don't understand even just like on a very base level i think i think like, trying to make sense <laughs> i think trying to make sense of like the nuts and bolts logistics yeah. of those like these is is a losing game there's no point because they're not based in reality they're not based in what is actually happening they're just based in hysteria and creating a boogeyman out of out of trans people which is even uh more disheartening when you think that um this mobilizes people mm-hmm. that this is something that um gets people to the polls and it really does speak to how um there are large voting blocks that are really misinformed and um and it's quite sad for like everybody involved you know especially for trans folks but it's like uh some people are just so misinformed that they think that this is something that can cause real harm to them and that they need to you know go out and vote against well i think i think it matters a lot to see somebody in position of power like the governor of your state saying this is a problem we need to pass this bill that discriminates against transgender people i mean if you see your governor saying that and you haven't read up on it at all and you haven't read up on recent politics or culture you might think you know oh what he's saying has to have some legitimacy to it he's the governor he wouldn't just make stuff up but wouldn't he (laughs) (laughs) you know so i think i mean it's it's sort of like um it's it's one thing for you know there's always going to be i think transphobic bigots on the fringe of society shouting about whatever they want but it's it's so much it's it's different and i think it's worse and more insidious when that's coming from positions of power from people who are elected into office who are writing the laws because people look to them for guidance Using this fear to advance a, a broader agenda, I understand that this this is going to have serious implications when it comes to the workforce and, and, and access to jobs. Can you explain that a bit? Sure. So uh, transgender people face uh, disproportionately high rates of discrimination when applying and trying to keep a job. One in four transgender people have been fired from a job they already have simply because they're transgender. Uh, and so uh, these ordinances, these non-discrimination protections, try to prevent that from happening. They try to prevent transgender people from being thrown out of restaurants or movie theaters or grocery stores. Um, and unfortunately... The vast majority of places in this country still lack protections in those areas. Uh, but the the amazing thing, the, the really startling thing that that makes this bill in North Carolina so much more um, uh, aggressive and extreme than some of the other bills we've seen is not only the consolidation of all of these anti-LGBT measures into one bill, but as you alluded to earlier, this bill also rolls back 50 years of civil rights progress within the state. Um, people of color, uh, pe- uh, religious minorities, women used to have a, um, a a remedy for discrimination at the local level. 
uh, that they no longer have now because the state came in and said cities can no longer pass non-discrimination ordinances. This 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 must be and has to be an issue of statewide concern. Um, and and for a party that espouses local control, for a party that says the best decisions are made closest to the people, uh, this is government overreach at its worst. And so what what are some of the things that are happening now on the ground. This happened very quickly. Like you said, this this was introduced and passed and signed, you know, all within um, a day on, on Wednesday of this week. Um, are, how are groups, re, how are various advocates, I should say, regrouping to address what's going on to ensure that, that rights can be restored? Well, I think we have an uphill battle in in North Carolina. I think one of the things that that people have to look at is the next election. We need people to uh, show up and make sure that they are uh, inserting LGBT equality into uh, the electoral conversation. Um, This is a result of an incredibly extreme legislature and governor that were elected four years ago. Um, and moving forward, I think we also have to make it clear that that this is bad for North Carolina's economy. Businesses are overwhelmingly opposed to this type of discriminatory legislation and overwhelmingly in favor of the non-discrimination protections that were passed in the city of Charlotte. Uh, and so for North Carolina or any state to continue to rebound from the recession, for North Carolina or any state to expand economic opportunities for their people by not just making sure you can't be discriminated against, but by attracting new businesses, um, they have to make clear that they have LGBT-inclusive policies and laws. Um, so we need the business community to step up and, and, and stand out against this law. It's not too late, even though it's been signed into law. In Indiana, we had a, a, the legislature and the governor rescind their overly broad RIFRA after the fact. Um, but I also think that, that the, the impact of this legislation underscores the need for the progressive community to come together and stand against this type of legislation. Uh, because just as we saw in North Carolina and as we're, we're going to see in other states, it's not just LGBT people that are impacted by these these anti-LGBT bills. People of color lost protections, women lost protections, religious minorities lost protections, and then people living at the intersections of those identities are, are, are uh, facing double, triple discrimination from their own state government. And and while this was, um, I think, some of the worst news of the week when it comes to LGBT rights, there was there were some positive um, developments in the country when it comes to um, advancing the cause of LGBT rights. In your own home state of Delaware, we saw um, some developments. Can you explain what happened? And actually, I just want to give a shout out to Sal McBride, who was on the radio this week, Sarah's wonderful mother, who's a... Um, a Increasingly great advocate on these issues, but can you tell us what's going on in your home state? Sure. So three years ago, Delaware became one of the 18 states that now has protections based on gender identity in various areas of life. In Delaware, that includes insurance. Uh, one of the most common forms of anti-LGBT discrimination that still exists nationwide uh, is discrimination in uh, insurance against transgender consumers, particularly exclusions that say uh, that we will not cover any medically necessary transition related care. Uh, the Delaware Insurance Commissioner just came out and said that um, that, that can no longer happen in Delaware, that that's a violation of the state and, f- and frankly, fed- federal law. 
uh, and that transgender people now have equal access to medically necessary care that these insurance providers are are covering in other instances, but are uniquely rejecting in the instance of transgender people. Uh, and so uh, that type of action, though, I think having an elected official standing up for, for instance, in this uh, this time, transgender people, having elected officials um, stand up for us is a reminder that for those of us who are privileged to live in these more progressive states, uh, we can't we can't let our guard down. We can't forget the people who are living in North Carolina, the people living in Indiana, the people living in Kansas, uh, who are not who who not only again have elected officials who are standing up for them, passing bulletins that that forbid insurance discrimination or passing non discrimination laws. That they not only have don't have those folks, but they have people who are are spending time and valuable money uh, trying to legislate discrimination into their state law. And this is this is serious. As you know, we were talking um, off the air that um, uh, trans youth, trans men and women have higher rates of suicide. This is something that's that's m- medically um, necessary, and it, it's something that that is crucial to the lives of of trans um, men and women in this country. And you know, this is an issue that we care a lot about on Talk Poverty because of the the rates of trans homelessness mm-hmm. um, is huge. So I think that. Um, this is an issue that you know people like to talk about the trans tipping point, mm-hmm. or um, this you know this broader recognition um, of the the severity of our laws as it comes to um, treating trans men and women as equal citizens and, and and full participants in society. This is something that is crucial just to, to lives. I want to underscore how how um, important these laws are. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a really good point. We know that roughly forty one percent of transgender people. Uh, attempt suicide at some point in their lives. And that's not because um, transgender people themselves have anything um, in them that would necessarily uh, make them more likely to have uh, or try to commit suicide. It's because society so often puts up barriers, so often uh, exposes them to violence and discrimination that leads people to think that that the only choice they have is to end their lives. And we have a study that just came out um, in the Journal of Homosexuality the other week that demonstrated that when transgender people do not have access to shared facilities, sex-segregated facilities in accordance with their gender identity, that has a real and tangible impact on on suicide rates. Um, It's not just a theoretical point. We we have data to, to back up that when this discrimination occurs, when 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 what North Carolina just did happens, lives are lost. Um, and and I think it just underscores the fact that in this fight, every day matters. Uh, we need our allies. We need the progressive community to stand up uh, to to embrace transgender people, to fight for trans rights, to keep trans people from being thrown out of their homes, to keep trans people um, off the streets, uh, employ transgender people, uh, and 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 vote for and support candidates who who embrace and and uh, support inclusive laws. We've spoken about um, efforts that that um, your team are backing at the federal level um, before on this program, but you know, for folks just tuning in um, for the first time joining us, can you can you tell us about the the bill that you all have been working on? Absolutely. The the um, the fact is that most Americans don't realize that that nationally. LGBT people still lack explicit protections from discrimination in areas like employment, housing, public accommodations, education. And so uh, this past July, just a month after the Supreme Court's ruling on marriage equality, uh, LGBT advocates along with um, 
almost uh, over 150 uh, senators and representatives joined together to introduce the Equality Act, which is a comprehensive LGBT non-discrimination bill that adds sexual orientation and gender identity to our nation's existing non-discrimination laws in employment, housing, public accommodations, federal funding. Uh, and and wh- why that is so important is not just to provide LGBT people with the same federal rights, but also to provide them with a recourse for when their state does things like like the North Carolina legislature just did. Um, if we had that bill, there would be an opportunity not just for LGBT people to be protected in individual instances, but for the state government to face uh, ramifications for their action. We're, we we have a couple avenues for that right now uh, within education based on existing sex protections. North Carolina may lose $4.5 billion in federal funding for passing this bill. Um, but uh, but we need explicit laws to make sure that regardless of who's president, regardless of the interpretation of judges, that this type of action by the North Carolina legislature is clearly and permanently illegal. Sarah McBride, Campaigns and Communications Manager for the Center for American Progress's LGBT team. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks so much for having me. Chase, I have a question about um, misogyny and trans misogyny. You know, we're seeing uh, with the rise of Trump, uh, also state legislatures passing, considering horrific anti-trans bills, as well as horrific anti-abortion bills. Obviously, the governor of Indiana just signed legislation this week that um, outlaws uh, abortions in cases where um, tests, genetic testing has shown that there may be, you know, Down syndrome or something like that. Um, and I just read that uh, in Florida, the governor has just signed legislation um, that bans any state funding, not just for abortions, but to any agency that performs abortions. So now Planned Parenthood in Florida will receive zero state funding, meaning obviously women can't get uh, women will be less likely to get cancer screenings and, and all of the other critical health care that um, Planned Parenthood provides. You know, at the same time, we're seeing that the debate debate around um, this bathroom hysteria, you know, the people who are so concerned about um, who else is peeing in the bathroom next to them and what their genitals look like. It's almost exclusively around this fear of this, you know, mythical man in a dress um, who's going to rape children in the bathroom. So like on the one hand, there's this move to, um, oppress women through the legislature by passing anti-abortion laws. And then on the other hand, there's this really weird sort of like made up chivalristic um, move to protect women and girls in the bathroom. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I do think that, you know, the idea that anyone in the state legislatures in South Dakota or Tennessee or North Carolina gives a shit about cisgender women is, is sort of a ridiculous idea. And as much as that, that these laws have been peddled as protecting women and girls, we know that they do absolutely nothing of the sort. They don't put money towards stopping sexual violence. They don't even comprehend actually how sexual violence or any form of violence actually happens. They just create a fear 
of um, of of sort of the trans predator, which is completely figmented in their imagination and doesn't in fact exist. But I think the connection, I mean, I think what we're seeing in state legislatures and we have for a long time with respect to access to reproductive health care is, you know, a, a huge investment in controlling people's autonomy and bodily autonomy and medical decision making. And so there is a real connection between the, the investment in uh, decreasing abortion access and making it harder for people to control their bodies with respect to reproductive health care and also to uh, sort of criminalize the bodies of trans people just for existing in the world. Um, and I think there's a lot to be really concerned about and sort of the overreach of the government trying to control our bodies, um, which is obviously a really longstanding practice, which has, you know, been really heavily um, levied upon, you know, cisgender women of color, black women in particular, and all trans people of color. Um, and then, I, you know, I think the, the really difficult, frustrating thing in the trans conversation is the extent to which sort of liberal cis feminists have really participated in the conversation and contributed to the rhetoric around trans women not being women, you know, actively calling transgender women men, and really being you know, lined up with the sort of political conservative right when it comes to dehumanizing trans people. And so I think that alignment is really disturbing, especially since it's really a shared, um, you know, strategy that we should have in, in challenging and pushing back against this overregulation of our bodies and efforts to basically kill people by decreasing their access to healthcare. What is the human cost of a law like this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the human cost is incredibly devastating. You know, there were there, you know, it's been really powerful and really painful to listen to these like to these transgender young people who are testifying before their governments, basically saying, you know, I've been bullied my whole life and now you're bullying me and you're telling me that that I don't exist or that I shouldn't exist. And um, you know, I think there, the reality is, is that if the government is willing to even have a public conversation about whether or not a trans person's body is in and of itself a threat to another human being just by existing in the world, that we are validating the idea that uh, perhaps trans people shouldn't exist. And the government is really um, giving very serious and, uh, you know, concerning platform to that idea through these bills, through these debates in which absolutely horrific things are said about trans people um, and, you know, where governors are signing the bills with statements such, you know, that are so demeaning and so incredibly damaging and essentially license the types of violence that we see against the community. It basically authorizes, you know, the next cis man who wants to kill the next trans woman that he has some sort of encounter with, you know, that validates that, you know, individual violence by having the state really sort of condone and authorize this type of rhetoric.
Usually at the top of the show, I rant at you for a few minutes about something that I'm upset or concerned about. And what I'm most upset and most concerned about today, Tuesday, is what happened in North Carolina last week. But as I sat down to think about what I might say at the top of the show, I realized I was just going to repeat and regurgitate a lot of what Dominic Holden, national LGBT reporter at BuzzFeed News, has been writing over the last week about North Carolina. So I thought better than just regurgitate Dom, I would invite Dom to come on for the top of the show. Hey, Dom, thanks for jumping on the phone. It's good to be here, Dan. Full disclosure, we used to work together here at the Stranger home paper. Now that that's out of the way, what the fuck happened in North Carolina last week? I mean, essentially what happened was there was a backlash to what the Charlotte City Council did in February. They passed a non-discrimination ordinance that covered gender identity and sexual orientation for employment, housing, and this was the big one, uh, public accommodations. And Republican leaders in the Capitol were concerned about this public accommodation portion. They said that this was going to allow transgender women, who they called men, uh, to use public restrooms and locker rooms and essentially sexually prey on women and girls. So what they did in response was they convened a special one-day session before the city law could take effect, and the state passed House Bill 2. And they did this in about 10 hours. What it did was essentially two things. The first is override all local non-discrimination ordinances that provide discrimination protections that aren't covered by state law. And then they left out LGBT people from coverage. Um, the other thing it did is it specifically mandated that transgender students and r- restrooms and government-run buildings, uh, they could not be accessed by people with a corresponding gender identity. And in schools, that's a particularly uh, legally questionable move because under the Obama administration, the federal government has found that violating transgender students' rights is illegal under civil rights laws. Okay, so there will be lawsuits. Jumping back out a little bit, there are hundreds of statutes like this in cities all across the country that allow people to – that protect LGBT civil rights and also allow transgender people to use the facilities that correspond with their gender identities. So if these – Lying douchebag shitheads in North Carolina and the legislature, mostly Republicans, although Dems voted for this too. But if they were right, if allowing trans people to use bathrooms and public facilities and locker rooms that correspond with their gender identities led to men in dresses assaulting women and girls, we would have hundreds and hundreds of cases all across the country in these other cities that provide exactly these protections. So do we have any examples of the, the shit that they're fear-mongering about actually happening anywhere else? No. Uh, Yeah, there's more than 200 cities. There are 17 states that have these protections for gender identity and public accommodations. And there are no examples of anyone abusing the law or using it as a defense to do something like this. I mean, the opposite is actually the the case where assaults motivated by hate against transgender people are extraordinarily high. In 2014, the year that we have the most recent data for, they actually increased even though hate crimes went down against LGBT people as a whole. Mm -hmm. And the weird irony of all of this is they want to keep so-called men out of women's bathrooms, but instead transgender men under this law, bearded, muscular men, are required to use the women's restroom if they're transgender. And so it actually creates the very problem of men and women's restrooms that they claim they're solving. We've talked about this on the show before because these trans bathroom bills keep popping up. And 
I've described it really as a blood libel against trans people because it just it posits that trans people are perverts who are coming to attack your daughter, which gets trans people assaulted, gets trans people murdered. And it doesn't seem to be stopping. In fact, gathering steam, we had an LGBT civil rights ordinance repealed in Houston at the ballot box because they went after this blood libel shibboleth, this blood libel bullshit that there are men in dresses attacking women in bathrooms as a result of these sorts of civil rights protections, which is just not true. How do we push back against this more effectively? Well, yeah, I mean, this is coming up again more and more, and I'm not sure that it's really about targeting transgender people, even though on its face that's what it's doing. It's more likely this is just an effective strategy from the far right that has been sort of populating city councils and legislatures and campaigns. And it's part of a broad effort to block LGBT rights, whether it's in Houston or Charlotte or whatever the next city might be. Um, you know, the LGBT movement has been found really flat-footed, especially a lot of the national organizations that have responded to this by simply sort of talking about the general need to protect people from discrimination. And it seems that that argument is completely ineffective. Um, what has been effective for marriage, for instance, was having the public see loving married same-sex couples. It is widely believed that the solution here is that the public needs to see transgender people as human beings. They need to be on the radio ads. They need to be on TV. And it is just that much more difficult to demonize somebody if they are a whole human being. And we also need to say trans people are already using the goddamn bathroom everywhere. And so if this was a problem, trans people in bathrooms, we would have evidence of it and there's no evidence of it. There's just demagoguery and it's familiar demagoguery to anybody with a passing familiarity with the LGBT civil rights movement's history because this was the stuff that they led with in the 70s against gay men, that we were sexual predators, that we were coming for your children. It's why we couldn't teach. It's why we had to be kept out of locker rooms and not be Cub Scout leaders because we were predators and we fought back against that. But that was hard to do. That charge of recruitment – or uh, preying upon kids was so deadly that for a long time we just avoided even addressing it. And we have to address it now again. It, it, you know, it feels like Groundhog Day for hate. Like we have to address this whole charge again, but with trans people, for trans people, in defense of trans people. And LGBT organizations have not been full-throated about doing that, and they have been losing again and again. And in the case of North Carolina – this time, it didn't just block the enactment of Charlotte's ordinance. It blocks any such ordinances from keep saying in effect or taking effect anywhere in North Carolina after this. So being unprepared for this fight sets them back. A hopeful sign, though, cases about marriage equality when they reach the Supreme Court, folks tried to argue that DOMA wasn't motivated by anti-gay bias and they were able to point to the things that the backers of DOMA said when they passed DOMA, which were clearly a homophobic and, motive, and clearly indicated the law was motivated by anti-gay bias. Even though there's nothing that specifically mentions LGBT people in this ordinance's language that singles us out necessarily, all of the dialogue about it, the testimony about it, what people who backed the law said about it, including the politicians who passed it and the governor who signed the bill, clearly indicates anti-LGBT bias. So hopefully the courts will come through for us again as this winds its way through the courts. Don, quickly before we let you go, anything average people who aren't in North Carolina can do to help? 
um, if they, I mean, what they can do is they can support their trans friends. They can, if they want to help this out right now, the lawsuit is being, uh, backed by the ACLU and by Lambda Legal. Uh, those are the groups who seem to be organizing the response on the ground and in the courts. So make a donation, Lambda Legal, ACLU, let them know why you're giving them some money. Dominic Holden, BuzzFeed News National LGBT reporter. Thanks for jumping on the phone, Dom. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The American Civil Liberties Union has filed a lawsuit challenging a sweeping new law banning local governments from passing laws prohibiting discrimination against LGBT people and public accommodations. The law, House Bill 2, commonly known as the Bathroom Bill, is widely considered to be the most wide-ranging anti-trans law to take effect this year. It was introduced after the city of Charlotte passed its own ordinance seeking to protect the right of transgender people to use the bathroom that matches their gender identity. In response, the North Carolina legislature convened an emergency one-day session at the cost of $42,000 to push through the statewide law HB2. Within hours of its introduction, the bill was pushed through both the House and the Senate, despite the fact that Senate Democrats walked out in protest. Senate Democratic leader Dan Blue issued a statement saying this is a direct affront to equality, civil rights and local autonomy. North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory then signed the legislation late Wednesday night. On Monday, ACLU North Carolina leader Legal director Chris Brooks announced the organization was challenging the law's constitutionality. We are asking the court to overturn House Bill 2 because it is unconstitutional, because it violates the equal protection and due process clauses of the 14th Amendment, because it discriminates on the basis of sex and sexual orientation, and because it is an invasion of privacy for transgender men and transgender women. The law also violates Title IX by discriminating against students on the basis of sex. On Thursday, the NBA released the following statement. They said, quote, The NBA is dedicated to creating an inclusive environment for all who attend our games and events. We're deeply concerned this discriminatory law runs counter to our guiding principles of equality and mutual respect and do not yet know what impact it will have on our ability to successfully host the 2017 All-Star Game in Charlotte, they said. The passage of HB2 in North Carolina comes amidst a spate of similar bills being introduced in state legislatures around the country. South Dakota, Tennessee, Kentucky, Minnesota, Washington State, Wisconsin, and other states are all considering similar bills aimed at prohibiting transgender students from using the bathrooms that correspond to their gender identities. For more, we're joined here in New York by Chase Strangio, staff attorney for the ACLU. Uh, let's start in North Carolina. The significance of this bill being put into effect in the ACLU um, now— suing. Yeah, thank you, Amy, for having me. I think, first and foremost, I just want to say what an honor it is to continue to have these conversations and to be in a position to tell a legislature and a government like North Carolina, you pass an unconstitutional law Wednesday night, we're going to sue you on Monday morning. And that's what, what's happening here. And it's important that we have this tool. But the larger context in which these laws are playing out is, is deeply disturbing. And the North Carolina law is almost 
you know, a greatest hits of all of the terrible things we've seen in the almost 200 bills that have been introduced targeting LGBT people this year. And the law, as you note, uh, strips away legal protections for LGBT people in jurisdictions across the state and mandates discrimination against transgender people. So we, so we filed this lawsuit to basically say this law is unconstitutional and this law violates federal law that prohibits sex discrimination in educational institutions receiving federal funding. So that's a Title IX claim as well. So last Wednesday, as the North Carolina legislature convened the emergency session to push through HB2, transgender rights activist Laura Americo spoke out. The true emergencies in North Carolina are subpar public schools, gerrymandered elections, and the need for clean drinking water. This special session is hindering my rights as a transgender woman and the rights of the LGBT community. It's also hindering Charlotte's ability to govern itself. This is not how taxpayers' money should be spent. So that was Lara Americo. Um, Chase Strangio, talk about how this law was pushed through. I mean, the emergency session spending $42,000. Yeah, so this is—it was incredibly anomalous with a just unbelievable amount of procedural irregularities. Uh, many of the, the Democrats in the General Assembly in North Carolina didn't have a chance to see the bill until it was right before them and they were charged with voting on it. And I think in addition to all these procedural regularities, the discourse around the Charlotte Ordinance and this law really are incredibly harmful for transgender people because they rely on a, mis on a myth and a lie about who trans people are and what it means to actually prohibit discrimination against trans After people. House Bill 2 was passed. North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory tweeted, quote, I signed bipartisan legislation to stop the breach of basic privacy and etiquette, ensure privacy in bathrooms and locker rooms. Chase. Yeah, so that's a complete lie. I mean, he did not do it for that reason. It does nothing to protect privacy in bathrooms. It does nothing to protect the public safety. Experience has shown that in the 200 cities and other jurisdictions that prohibit discrimination against trans people, there has never been a single incident of anyone, trans or non-trans, using a law to go into a bathroom to harm another person, which would already be illegal. Experience has also shown, however, that these conversations actively harm the trans community, who are vulnerable to violence, who uh, do have rates of suicide attempts uh, close to 50 percent. So while our public conversations are distorting the reality of what these laws are doing, they are also contributing to an epidemic of violence uh, that trans people are living under uh, across the country. Can you talk about what happened in Georgia? Yeah, so so I think you know as as I mentioned, there have been um, many bills targeting the LGBT community that have been introduced, and, and Georgia passed through their legislature another sweeping piece of legislation that would have authorized discrimination uh, against LGBT people in a host of uh, um, contexts. It's one of those license to discriminate bills that allowed religious uh, ba bases for discrimination, and that governor, under pressure, actually uh, decided to veto that piece of legislation. So let's go to Georgia Republican Governor Nathan Deal announcing he would veto the so-called religious liberty bill, critics said, would allow discrimination against LGBT people. I do not think that we have to discriminate against anyone to protect the faith-based community in Georgia, of which I and my family have been a part of for all of our lives. Our actions on House Bill 757 are not just about protecting the faith-based community or providing business-friendly climate for job growth in Georgia. I believe it is about the character of our state and the character of our people. That was Georgia Republican Governor Nathan Deal. Now, the NFL had weighed in on Georgia as well. 
Yeah, I think what we're seeing is that businesses and sports uh, and the NBA, the NFL are saying we are not going to tolerate this type of discrimination. And that that affected the, the Georgia governor uh, clearly. The problem with North Carolina was they had no interest in hearing from other people. They had no interest in assessing what it would mean for their state. They just wanted to pass through in a matter of 12 hours a sweeping piece of legislation that actively harmed particularly trans people, but the entire LGBT community. So the North Carolina bill goes into effect immediately. What does it mean for trans people? I think it means, first and foremost, that trans people have to live in a state in which they know that their government uh, is willing to actively participate in the harassment and bullying of them. But it also means that trans people are now completely uh, unable to participate in public life because trans people have no idea where they're supposed to go to the bathroom. Are they supposed to go use the bathroom that is listed on their birth certificate that in no way matches who they are, which will be uncomfortable for them and others? Or are they supposed to risk uh, potential arrest, uh, potential other adverse consequences? by continuing to use the bathroom that accords with their gender, which is now illegal in North Carolina. The North Carolina General Assembly's passage of HB2 came the same week the city of Charlotte was marking the first anniversary of the death of transgender student Blake Brockington, who was the first openly transgender homecoming king in a North Carolina high school. This is Blake speaking in a short documentary about his life. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, in a Southern Baptist home. I've always been kind of different, and it was always a bad thing in my family, but they never really said anything. And then when the homecoming stuff happened, it was, they were like, you're still not a guy to us, like guys and girls, you know, and um, it's, it's been really hard. High school's been really hard. To me personally, it made me feel like for once I could just be a normal teenage boy. Just a normal teenage boy, just doing normal teenage guy things. Like being homecoming king. That's a normal teenage boy thing. We all want to do it, kind of. So that was Blake Brockington. Chase, what happened to Blake? And, you know, so, so seeing this is just so heartbreaking because Blake, like so many trans young people, took his own life. And it's in part because of the ways in which society is continuing to tell the horrible distortions about trans people that, that really cut us out from public life and make vulnerable trans young people, vulnerable trans young people of color like Blake, who are such beacons of hope and light for our community, uh, end up um, dying by suicide. And so many other trans people are being murdered uh, on the streets. And this is, this is the context in which we're having these conversations. And these conversations are impacting the opportunities for young trans people like Blake to survive. My goal with this show is to inform, inspire, and activate listeners to push for positive change. With the support of listeners, I've been able to expand what we do here and make the show better over time. And the only way to continue doing that, to grow and improve, is with your support. I don't need a giant pile of money to run this show. I just need a steady, dependable stream of 5 and $10 monthly donations from people like you. For signing up, you'll also get access to special bonus content, including some behind-the-scenes stuff and more of my comments. If you believe in the mission of this show as much as I do, please help it continue to grow and improve by becoming a member today. Details are on the membership page at bestofleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. You. 
You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, fight North Carolina's LGBTQ discrimination law with the ACLU of North Carolina and Equality North Carolina. The ACLU is calling North Carolina's House Bill 2, quote, the most egregious, sweeping, hate-filled anti-LGBT legislation in the country's history, unquote. Sadly, with its passing, we are once again reminded of the typical path our country takes towards justice. Two steps forward, one manipulative, politically motivated, ignorance and fear-driven step back. If it wasn't bad enough that the new law forces transgender individuals to use bathrooms marked for a gender they do not identify with, it also prevents municipalities from creating new LGBT protections, whether in bathrooms, public accommodations, or at the workplace, and may even make it difficult for anyone to sue for discrimination, and lots of other states are trying to follow suit. The only way to fight this is to join the growing wave of pressure from citizens, businesses, and other state governments that are calling for North Carolina's General Assembly to reverse the bill when the new legislative session starts in April. Businesses and investors are threatening to pull money from the state, Hollywood is saying they'll film elsewhere, activists are calling for a tourism boycott, and $4.5 billion in federal education funding is at risk since the new law conflicts with the federal non-discrimination law. So here are the actions from the ACLU and Equality North Carolina that you can and should take right now. Sign the ACLU's petition titled Repeal the Country's Worst LGBT Law at aclu.org backslash action. Get involved in supporting the campaigns for progressive candidates running for North Carolina's state legislature and governorship this November. Tweet at North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory with your disapproval at at Pat McCrory NC. Like and retweet selfies that transgender people are tweeting at Pat McCrory, demonstrating how out of place they would be in the wrong bathroom. And if you're transgender yourself and comfortable doing it, consider tweeting one of yourself. Use the hashtags NoHateInMyState and hashtag WeAreNotThis on social media. And if you live in North Carolina and need LGBT support and resources, call the Campaign for Southern Equality Western North Carolina Trans Support Hotline at 828 828- Two three seven one three two three. You can also access Southern Equality's Google Map of all gender bathrooms across the state of North Carolina on their website at southernequality.org under the Hometown Organization Project Fighting Back Against HB2. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional resources, and as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestoftheleft.com, so if fighting institutionalized governmental bullying is important to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about the actions to fight HB2 in North Carolina. And remember, North Carolina is just one of many places where anti-LGBT legislation is not only being proposed, but past. So stay vigilant and keep your ear to the ground so that you can take action to stop ignorance and fear from spreading to your state. Can you stand up and be counted as a body in a crowd? Put your name on a petition with your signature so proud. Can you raise your voice so loud as you stand with head on bowed, weather beating on your brow, demanding answers here and now? Cause that's how we make a difference in this fickle world of change.
There are a few things that all of us need. We all need air to breathe. We need clean water to drink. We need food to eat. We need shelter and love. You know, love is great too. And we all need a safe place to pee. Yeah? As a trans person who doesn't fit neatly into the gender binary, if I could change the world tomorrow to make it easier for me to navigate, the very first thing I would do is blink and create single-stall, gender-neutral bathrooms in all public places. Trans people and trans issues, they've been getting a lot of mainstream media attention lately, and, and this is a great and necessary thing, but most of that attention has been focused on a very few individuals, most of whom are kind of rich and pretty famous and probably don't have to worry that much anymore about where they're going to pee in between classes at their community college or where they're going to get changed into their gym strip at their public high school. Fame and money insulates these television star trans people from most of the everyday challenges that the rest of us have to tackle on a daily basis. Public bathrooms. They've been a problem for me since as far back as I can remember. First when I was just a little baby tomboy and then later as a masculine appearing predominantly estrogen based organism. Now, today, as a, as a trans person, public bathrooms and change rooms are where I am most likely to be questioned or harassed. I've often been verbally attacked behind their doors. I've been hauled out by security guards with my pants still halfway pulled up. I've been stared at, screamed at, whispered about. And one time, I got smacked in the face by a little old lady's purse that from the looks of the shiner I took home that day, I am pretty certain contained at least $70 of rolled up small change and a large hard candy collection. <laughs> and I know what some of you are thinking, and you're mostly right. I can and do just use the men's room most of the time these days, but that doesn't solve my change room dilemmas, does it? And I shouldn't have to use the men's room because I'm not a man. I'm a trans person. And now we got these fear-mongering politicians that keep trying to pass these bathroom bills. Have you heard about these? They try to legislate to try and force people like myself to use the bathroom that they deem most appropriate according to the gender I was assigned at birth. And if, if these politicians ever get their way, in Arizona or California or Florida or just last week in Houston, Texas or Ottawa, well then using the men's room will not be a legal option for me either. And every time one of these politicians brings one of these bills to the table, I can't help but wonder, you know, just who will and exactly how would we go about enforcing laws like these, right? Panty checks? Really? You know, so genital inspections outside of uh, bath change rooms at public pools. You know, there's no legal or ethical or plausible way to 
to enforce laws like these anyway. They exist only to foster fear and promote transphobia. They don't make anyone safer, but they do for sure make the world more dangerous for some of us. And meanwhile, our trans children suffer. They drop out of school or they opt out of life altogether. Trans people, especially trans and gender non-conforming youth, face additional challenges when accessing pools and, and gyms, but also universities, hospitals, libraries. Don't even get me started on how they treat us in airports. If we don't move now to make sure that these places are truly open and accessible to everyone, then we just need to get honest and quit calling them public places. We need to just admit that they are really only open for people who fit neatly into one of two gender boxes, which I do not. I never have. And this starts very early. I know a little girl, she's the daughter of a friend of mine. She's a self-identified tomboy. I'm talking about cowboy boots and caterpillar yellow toy trucks and bug jars, the whole nine yards. One time I asked her what her favorite color was, she told me camouflage. <laughs> yeah? So that awesome little kid, she came home from school last October from her half day of preschool with soggy pants on because the other kids at school were harassing her when she tried to use the girls' bathroom. And the teacher had already instructed her to stay out of the boys' bathroom. And she had drank two glasses of that red juice at the Halloween party. And I mean, who can resist that red juice, right? It's so good. And she couldn't hold her pee any longer. Her and her classmates were four years old. They already felt empowered enough to police her use of the so-called public bathrooms. She was four years old. She had already been taught the brutal lesson that there was no bathroom door at preschool with a sign on it that welcomed people like her. She'd already learned that bathrooms were going to be a problem. And that problem started with her and was hers alone. So my friend asked me to talk to her little daughter, and I did. I wanted to tell her that me and her mom were going to march on down and talk to that school and the problem was going to go away, but I knew that wasn't true. I wanted to tell her that it was all going to get better when she got older, but I couldn't. So I asked her to tell me the story of what had happened. Asked her to tell me how it made her feel. Mad and sad, she told me. So I told her, that she wasn't alone and that it wasn't right what had happened to her. And then she asked me if I had ever peed in my pants before. I said, yes, I had, but not for a really long time, <laughs> which of course was a lie. 
Because you know how you hit like 42, 43, and sometimes you just, I don't know, you pee a little bit when you cough or sneeze when you're running upstairs, you know, or you're stretching. Don't lie. It happens, right? She doesn't need to know that, I figure. I told her when you get older, your bladder's going to grow bigger, too. When you get old like me, you're just, you're going to be able to hold your pee for, for way longer, I promised her. Until you can get home? She asked me. I said, yes. Until you can get home. She seemed to take some comfort in that. So, Let's just build some single-stall, gender-neutral bathrooms with a little bench for getting changed into your gym clothes. We can't change the world overnight for our children, but we can give them a safe and private place to escape that world, if only for just a minute. This we can do. So let's just do it. And if you are one of those people who's sitting out there right now, already coming up with a list of reasons in your head why this is not a priority, or it's too expensive, or telling yourself that giving a trans person a safe place to pee or get changed in supports a lifestyle choice that you feel offends your morality, or your masculinity, or your religious beliefs, then let me just appeal to the part of your heart that probably, hopefully, does care about the rest of the population. If you can't bring yourself to care enough about people like me, then what about women and girls with body image issues? What about anyone with body image stuff going on? What, what about that boy at school who's a foot shorter than his classmates, who's... who's Voice still hasn't dropped yet, hey? Oh, grade eight. What a cruel master you can be, right? What about people with anxiety issues? What about people with disabilities or who need assistance in there? What about folks with bodies who, for whatever reason, don't fit into the mainstream idea of what a body should look like? How many of us still feel shy or afraid to disrobe in front of our peers, and how many of us allow that fear to keep us from something as important as physical exercise? Would all those people not benefit from these single-stall facilities? We can't change transphobic minds overnight. But we can give everybody a place to get changed in so that we can all get to work making the world safer for all of us.
We just heard clips featuring backtalk from bitch media pointing out the politically motivated nature of this new rash of anti-trans discriminatory laws. Talk Party Radio spoke with Sarah McBride on how the fallout from these laws affects a lot more than just trans people. They talked on Humorless Queers with ACLU staff attorney Chase Strangio about the trans misogyny behind these laws and how even supposedly liberal feminists often find themselves on the conservative side of this debate. Dan Savage had on Dominic Holden and discussed how, in reality, these laws create the problem they're trying to solve by requiring that trans men use women's restrooms. Democracy Now! also spoke with Chase Strangio about how these laws basically amount to governmental bullying that pushes trans people to suicide at staggering rates. Our activism for today is to support the efforts of the ACLU in North Carolina and Equality North Carolina. And finally, we heard Ivan Coyote's TED Talk explaining why anyone should be in favor of gender-neutral, single-stall bathrooms, regardless of their feelings or fears about trans people. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing, and now, we'll hear from you. Hi, Jay. This is Michael in Eugene, Oregon. I'm a first-time caller, but I've been listening to the show for about three months, and in that time, I've listened to literally every episode I can on my app. And uh, episodes today are, like today, are a great example of why. I've always hated math. Uh, language comes much easier to me. And as such, the economy was really unappealing. It just seemed boring. And I really didn't care about it growing up. But in the last couple of years, I've started to see how everything links together and how these societal issues like queer rights and uh, Indian racism that I care about more deeply are so inextricably linked to the economy. Hi, my name is Gabriel. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm calling in response to the person at the end of the last episode who talked about the importance of unity with the Democratic Party and uh, basically implied that we should just gather around behind whoever is nominated after the primary. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I don't necessarily have a problem with compromise in general, but I do think that we shouldn't guarantee compromise without any kind of give and take. Uh, that caller specifically mentioned the crap that um, Elon James White and the This Week in Blackness crew has, uh, has been getting. And they haven't mentioned it recently at all, for some, whatever reason. But for a long time, a few months ago, uh, Elon James would re- very frequently bring up the this uh, phrase that he made, uh, earn this damn vote or lose. And I feel like that is a really good principle that I am holding myself to for this election. I am not going to vote for a candidate who betrays certain issues that are very important to me. I can hold my nose on some things, but not everything. There are lines that can't be crossed. And I think that that's important. I think if you say that you will compromise on something just to make sure that Donald Trump isn't president or whatever, you're letting the Democratic candidate off the hook for a lot of important things. We can't just trust the Democratic Party to be in our best interest or to come around eventually to being good for all of us. All right, thanks, bye.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. Today, I want to talk to you about theory of change. And in politics and social justice, activism, all those sorts of things, theory of change is a lot like the scientific method is to science. In science, you come up with an idea and you want to test it and you run some tests and if it goes wrong, then you got to start over. In politics and activism, you have a goal that you're trying to reach and so you have to come up with a theory of how you're going to get from here to there. So there are a lot of different theories as to how to do that. You can lobby politicians, try to get them to pass laws you think will be good. You can protest. They could be against the government or against corporations or just about anything. You could uh, file lawsuits, you know, like we heard about in today's show. If a bad law is passed, you can file a lawsuit, try to have it overturned. And then, of course, there's voting. You know, if you vote for one candidate over another and they get elected, well, then you're going to have a different outcome based on who you voted for and who ends up being elected. And then I have a personal theory of change with this show. You know, my theory is that if I make a show full of information that's interesting enough for people to actually listen to it, then people will have their minds changed, they will be more informed, they will make better decisions, they will have conversations with their friends, uh, ideas will spread, and through that, benefits to society will emanate. So, Clearly, the discussion on voting strategy has begun. It's been going on for a while now, just not on this show. And it happens every primary season, like clockwork. And so in the in the last episode, we heard from a caller who said that he was a Democrat, undecided on who to vote for in the primary, but he was urging us to unify as a Democratic Party and come together and vote for whoever the general election nominee is because that person will be much better than whatever Republican is nominated. And then today, we had a response saying, you know, basically earn this vote or lose the idea that I'm not going to vote for anyone unless they have genuinely earned my vote, which means that going into the general election, if if the general election candidate has not earned my vote, well, then they just don't get my vote. And maybe no one gets that person's vote. Maybe it goes to a third party. You know, there are a lot of different options there. And so I'm happy to have this conversation continue, but I want it to happen in the context of a theory of change. So whatever strategy for voting you have, I simply urge you to have a theory of change to back up your decision. So there are drawbacks to every strategy, you know, benefits and drawbacks, of course. So I'll just go real quick through the two that we've heard. If you are urging party unity and are promising to vote for whatever Democrat is in the general election, then the drawback of that is that you have given up some of your leverage. If you are promising to vote for whatever the general candidate is— well, then you don't have leverage over that candidate to be able to bend them to your will. And so maybe that person gets elected, but maybe they don't do that good of a job because they didn't promise to do a good job because we didn't extract those promises from them by using leverage over them. Now then the reverse, sort of ironically, is also true. If you say, earn my vote or lose, 
and you're demanding something that that candidate has no chance of ever being able to promise, then the candidate may just give up on you and say, okay, well, if that's what you want from me, you're not getting it, so I'm going to stop even having a conversation with you. But let's say that doesn't happen. Okay, great. They have not given up on you, uh, and so that's good, and maybe they come sort of a little bit more towards you, but not all the way towards you. So then that leaves you to decide, okay, am I going to stick to my guns and not vote for the person who I said I wasn't going to vote for unless they really earned it? So then the drawback is if you sit it out or you vote for a third-party candidate or whatever, then mathematically speaking, there is an infinitesimally small uh, difference being made in the chances of that candidate being elected. Of course, granted the fucked up system of our electoral college, so this only counts if you're in a swing state. <laughs> so, so it doesn't count for me. It doesn't count for a lot of people. But if you're in a swing state, then it actually does matter. So if you decide to not vote or vote for a third party or something like that, then you actually are having an impact on the election. You are not voting for either a Democrat or a Republican and in making that choice, you are actually influencing the election, and whichever way it goes is partly due to the people who voted for Democrats, partly due to the people who voted for Republicans, partly due to all the people who didn't vote, and partly due to the people who voted for a third candidate. Everyone in a swing state who has the ability to vote, whatever they do with their option to vote, is having an impact on the election. So I welcome this conversation. I'm positive more people will have opinions on this. I simply ask that when you express your opinion, please explain your theory of change. How does your decision, how, how does the strategy that you are endorsing get us to where you want to go? Hopefully, if you are endorsing a strategy, then you've thought it through and you think that your strategy is the best theory of change. So that's what I want to hear from you. Keep the comments coming in. The number again, 202-999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. You can help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and helping share all of the great content that we put out there, especially on Facebook. Facebook, you can set us to see our content first. You will see uh, quotes from the show, uh, highlighted clips from the show, and you can quickly and easily share those with your networks. And then, of course, for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway at outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of a Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained